You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Let's turn our attention now to the cross. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Look with me to the middle of verse 16. And following, the Bible says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written... I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he gave, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts in this room. God, we are so guilty of making the gospel and Christianity about so many things that really don't matter. At the end of the day. What matters is that we 
come to the foot of the cross and come to know and love and serve You, Jesus. And so I pray that through the preaching of the Gospel this morning that You would call the lost to repentance and faith in Christ. I pray that You would stir the hearts of the church and may we be compelled to live our lives for You and You alone. And may we be compelled to go out into a lost world who doesn't yet know You and proclaim the Gospel boldly because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I just believe as a pastor and as a Christian, more importantly, that we could never hear the message of the cross enough. That no matter how many times we hear it, Over and over and over. And by the way, any faithful gospel preaching, gospel believing church should be proclaiming this message over and over and over. No matter how many times we hear it, we plumb the depth of his riches yet to a deeper level that we never knew before. I think this is why Paul said to the church at Corinth, for I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. John Stott, who was a famous Anglican preacher, wrote, it was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. You see, just as the resurrection has been called the linchpin of Christianity, cross is, the cross is the pivot point around which all of redemptive history revolves. And so the message of John, the message really of the Bible, the message of John is that on the cross, Jesus fully accomplished the sovereign plan of God, the Father, to save sinners. On the cross, Jesus fully accomplished the sovereign plan of God to save sinners. That's John's message here. This is the moment John's Gospel is leaning into from the very beginning when all of the spotlight is put on Jesus. You'll notice that all the other characters in this story, although many of the other Gospel writers highlight those characters, In John, Jesus takes the spotlight and all the other characters seem to fade into the distance. Even Mary and Mary Magdalene, even John there toward the end, those are given the spotlight only in as much as they show Jesus' compassion upon them. And John portrays Jesus as taking command over this entire scene. It's right in line with John 10.18. Do you remember No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. In this text, it is clearly Jesus who acts. Jesus who is in control. Jesus who goes to the cross. Who offers up his life is Jesus who has the plan to save sinners, and it's Jesus alone who can accomplish the work. Jesus fully accomplishes the will of the Father in a singular act by offering up his life on the cross. 
So let's set the scene here. John chapter 19, verse 16, the Bible says, So they took Jesus and went out, and he went out, rather, bearing his cross to the place called, the place of the skull called Golgotha in Aramaic. Carrying his cross was a part of the sentence. It was a part of what a criminal would do in Rome. What they would do is sentence this criminal to execution. And they would place this horizontal beam, the cross beam, on the shoulders of the one who was convicted. And he was forced to carry his cross all the way to the place of execution. When they got there, they would lay the cross beam on the ground and lay the, the, the criminal against it, the one who was convicted against it, and they would either tie his hands to the cross beam or they would drive nails through his wrist onto that cross beam. And once the criminal was firmly attached to the cross beam, they would hoist it into the air and attach it to the vertical post that was already in the ground. And they would nail or tie the feet to the vertical cross beam. Sometimes there was a seat, but it wasn't to give relief. It was a place of pain, this constant pushing and thrusting on the wounds that were there. Jesus carries his cross beam to the place called Golgotha. The other gospel writers include a report by the uh, about a man by the name of Simon. Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross, John doesn't give us that report, not because John wants to leave out anything, but because John is emphasizing something, namely that it was Jesus who carried his cross and it's Jesus who's going to the cross. You'll see that again and again throughout this passage, that Jesus is in full control of what is happening. In fact, Simon carrying the cross really only gives us another symbolic picture of what it means to substitute Jesus being our substitute. And they go to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Calvary is what we often call it today. It's from the Latin word that means skull. Some would say that the place where Jesus was crucified looked like a skull. We don't know that for certain. Others might say that this place of the skull was because it's the place of execution. And that would have been a normal thing there, but we don't know the reason. Either way, either way, it is fitting, is it not? As Jesus goes to die for sinners. Verse 18 says, there they crucified him. And with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. This is, of course, a lot to talk about. Jesus being crucified between two thieves. Their discourse, their dialogue between one another. But John leaves all of that out because he's putting the spotlight on Jesus. We don't know the men's names or anything that they said in John. We only know that Jesus was between them. And and so you can get the scene. Everything is pointed at Jesus in this moment. The hour has come. John said, this moment that Jesus is to be lifted up, just as the serpent in the wilderness, this is the moment where the Son of God bearing His cross is lifted up before all of the people who've rejected Him, who've not believed the Gospel, all of the people who've sinned against God, who've lived a life of disobedience and who are in need of a Savior. Here He is, crucified before them. All of the shame of sin on Jesus 
All of the Father's wrath on Jesus. All of the horrific pain and agony and destruction that sin brings is on Jesus. He receives death. And the good news of this Gospel, this death of Jesus, is that because He receives all of that, through faith in Him, I can receive eternal life. And so He fully accomplishes the work. And the invitation of the cross is then to come and believe upon Christ. These things are written that you may believe. Can I say to you this morning that Jesus did the work that was required, but that is not automatically applied to everyone who lives. There is required faith. We must trust in Christ in order to be saved. This is why John is writing this letter. That you would not just see this as a good story and go, oh, that's great. Man, I'm so glad Jesus died and and now we can all go to heaven. That's not the case. There will be many who will deny Christ still. There will be many who have some semblance of Christianity who say to Him, Lord, Lord, and yet they will spend eternity separated from God because the only thing that saves a person is putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And that means that we must turn from our sin and put put our faith and trust in Him and Him alone. And so he is the sovereign sin bearer. And toward that end, John gives us five pictures of what it means for him to be the sovereign sin bearer. Showing us this again and again so we would turn to Christ. And so toward that end, we need to see those five images. And my prayer for you is that you would turn and trust him as well. The first image is that we should see the one who carried his own cross. See the one who carried his own cross. That's what verse 16 and 17 says. They took Jesus and the idea is that they took charge of him. The Romans took charge of him, probably the soldiers. And he went out bearing his own cross. Literally, Carrying the cross for himself. He carried it himself. No one could ultimately carry that load. Even when Simon of Cyrene stepped in, it was not because Jesus was spiritually exhausted, but physically exhausted. It's not something that Simon could ever do. We, we in the life that we live use a phrase called, it's just our cross to bear. And we generally mean some sort of physical agony that we have to carry or something that we have to walk through, some kind of pain and suffering. Many of us face all kinds of pain and suffering. And and there are some who face torture similar to that of Jesus. But no one is able to bear the wrath of God and to be saved. No one is able to hold up under the, the spiritual judgment that is due sinners and to still be set free from sin except for Jesus. And He bore it Himself. And this is huge. Because how often we as believers or we as people try to try to carry our own cross, try to find a way to God, try to carry the weight of all of our sin against God. We, we try to struggle and make it through this life on our own without Jesus or through some other means. 
But at the end of the day, the only one who can bear this cross is Jesus. He is our sovereign sin bearer. He himself, according to 1 Peter, bore our sins in his body on the tree. He's not just bearing the weight of a crossbeam. He was bearing, bearing the weight of sin against God. And we are the ones who have sinned against God. And Jesus took it. Friend, the only way we can be set free is for Jesus to take the cross in our place. It's the only way. And then, as believers, we're told to take up our cross and follow Jesus. So what does that mean? For example, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And He said to all, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Well, if Jesus died, why do we need to take up any cross? It's because the, the response to one coming and bearing the cross for us that we could never bear our, on our own, the response to that is to say, Jesus, nothing else I have is of any value to you, I lay everything down and follow you. That's the only right response to Jesus. So we take up our cross every day, dying to ourselves, dying to sin and following Jesus, coming after Him and trusting in what He has done ultimately and finally on the cross of Calvary. So see the One who carried His own cross. Secondly, see the One who died for His own kingdom. See the One who died for His own kingdom. This exchange between Pilate and the Jews continues in verse 19. Pilate also wrote this inscription and put it on the cross. And the, the, the inscription read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, that inscription is significant. Because an inscription was placed whenever someone was executed by Roman crucifixion, they placed at the top of the cross the, the accusation or the charges against them. This is what they're being uh, executed for. This is the reason for their punishment. And so Pilate puts on the cross, Jesus, King of the Jews. And the Jews get upset because in their mind, Jesus is not a king. It's not any king, certainly not their king. So you need to correct that Pilate and you need to place on the inscription his claim to be king of the Jews. This is what he's being crucified for. You see, they're fearful that the rest of the Jews on the outskirts, we, we see the towns there. The rest of the Jews are going to see this and go, what? What are they doing? This was our Messiah. Or perhaps maybe they think there's going to be an, an uprising of those who believed upon Jesus. Or, or maybe they'll just seem to have guilty hands, bloodshed on their hands because they've crucified a king. We've got to get that corrected, Pilate. Pilate says, I'm done with y'all. It is what it is. In essence, you change it if you want. But I've already done what I'm going to do. It's interesting that even through the apathy of a secular ruler... That God does His will. That'll preach. So Jesus is still declared as king, and that's no crime. But notice, He's the king on a throne. It's the king wearing a crown. It's the king with a scepter. He's a king with all the subjects bowing down before Him. 
Not at all. Jesus ascends His throne by going to the cross. He's a king who dies for His kingdom. Can you imagine? This is not the kind of ruler they expected. Certainly not the kind of ruler that we see today. Jesus is the kind of ruler that says, I I have a kingdom and I'm going to purchase my kingdom, my people with my blood. We know that this is a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that it is a kingdom that essentially is innumerable. As one day all believers are going to bow before King Jesus as He sits on the throne, and the crowns that we're given when we get to heaven, we're going to lay down at His feet because He is King Jesus, but He's King, and we're His people because He died for us. This is the... One who is on the cross. See the one who died for His kingdom. Third, see the one who fulfilled His own word. He fulfilled His own word. Verse 23, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier. Also His tunic. They ran into a problem with the tunic. The tunic was not seamed. Can't divide it into four parts, so we don't want to destroy it. Maybe it's of some value. By the way, this is a common practice. The executioners would receive those garments of the one who was executed. Just kind of another way of humiliating them. Humiliating them. Most of the time there wasn't much worth. Even if they were a thief, maybe some worth. But this tunic was a source of contention. So instead of tearing it, they cast lots. What they didn't know was that the Scripture, Psalm 22 and verse 18 says, they divided My garments among them, and for My clothing they cast lots. Jesus, pinned up on a cross, is actually still fulfilling His Word through the actions of sinful men. It's unfathomable. Even beyond that, if you consider the context of Psalm 22, David is the psalmist there and he is afflicted by physical distress and the mockery of his opponents. The same thing that Jesus is going through. And so what he does is he uses the symbolism of an execution scene in which his executioners distribute the criminal's clothes. (laughs) That's what he's saying. That's exactly the context here in John chapter 19. Not only that, but Jesus himself quoted from Psalm 22 when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is saying, this psalm is about me. Do you see this? It's the prophecy of God about the coming Messiah. And not only does Jesus say it's being fulfilled, but they actually carry out exactly what He said was going to happen. And that's not the only place. You could look at hundreds of places where Christ meets every demand of the Old Testament and thereby proves Himself to be the Messiah and proves Himself to be the One who keeps His Word. He is the eternal Word of God in human flesh. So the picture here is that Jesus is fulfilling His own Word. He's sovereign as the sin-bearer. He never removes or relinquishes that power, that control. And He keeps His Word. 
I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to the glory, to, to God for His glory. So see the One who is the Word, who is the fulfillment of His own Word, who is the Word of God, Jesus on the cross. Fourth picture. See the one who cares for his own people. See the one who cares. Verse 25 says the soldiers did these things. They divided his garments. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. These, or rather when Jesus uh, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that is John. Remember, this is a designation for John throughout his gospel. He never names himself. He said to his mother, Behold, woman, behold your son. It's one of the most humiliating and excruciating moments of his life. How many of us, when we're in deep physical pain, the first thing we do is consider somebody else? <laughs> Not generally. In fact, at the slightest tinge of a, of a headache, we tend to snap at somebody else, right? And whenever we get in pain, we think about ourselves and ourselves only, but not Jesus. It's one of the most humiliating and excruciating moments of his life, but during this moment, he cares for the ones he loves and he remains faithful. He sees the physical need of his mother. His mother's to be without her son. I don't know where Joseph is at this point, but it seems that Mary needs to be cared for. Maybe Joseph's not even around at this point. But Jesus' final words, some of His final words, reserved for extending care to the ones He loves. He was caring for His mother in two ways. One, He was leaving her a human son to take the place because he was actually the divine son. She was about to be alone in essence. And she needed someone there to care for her. Even beyond that, he was doing something far greater. Jesus was caring for her by being the substitute for her sins. He was dying for her on the cross. What care more could we ask? I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6 when the Bible teaches that Jesus cares for the birds and the flowers and then He frees us from the cares of this world to serve the kingdom. And it's a beautiful thing when God gives such care to His children to provide for physical needs so that we're freed to serve kingdom needs. That's what He's doing for her. This is not Mary's physical son. She's in a new relationship with this son or this brother really in the faith. And God has done a similar thing for us. He's placed us into a body of believers in which we have new relationships. Relationships that are not found in, in, in blood relationships, but rather in spirit relationships where we're united in the blood of Christ 
by the Spirit of God in unity in order to care for the needs of one another. This is the whole reason why the table was enacted. That we as God's covenant people might come together around the table and remember what Christ has done and be one in Christ. And God has fashioned this in order that we might care for one another and thereby extend His care to each other. And He's sovereign. Being pinned up on a cross didn't stop Him from caring for His people. We have a good Savior. And these women, John, those to come, who are the ones for whom Jesus cares for in this way? The ones who come to the foot of the cross and devote their lives to Christ. So see the one who cares for his own people. And finally, see the one who finished his own mission. John 19, Jesus says, I thirst. It's another fulfillment of prophecy jar full of sour wine, they take that and they put a sponge on it and they give Him this, reach it up to the cross with a branch. Jesus drinks from it. I think it's really a picture of Him receiving the sour wine of God's wrath, the sour cup of God's wrath. It comes from Psalm 69 and verse 19. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. It's a prayer to the Lord. Verse 20, reproaches have broken my heart so that I'm in despair. Think about Christ, what He's receiving. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And in no comfort, no pity, no mercy. Verse 21, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. There's no relief for Jesus. And against that backdrop, He says, it's finished. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. He takes the full cup of the Father's bitter wrath. And that's all that's required. It's finished. The penalty has been satisfied. The offer of forgiveness extended. There never was going to be another way but Christ. It could never have been completed in any other way except by Christ. And there will never be another offer except Christ. It is finished. His blood pays it in full. Telestai. That is the, that is the word. It's a, An accounting term that means to pay in full. There is no more debt to those who are in Christ. The debt has been paid. And friend, if you are here this morning and you are not in Christ, understand that that payment must be applied to your account before you are forgiven of your sins. How can that happen? For the person who's never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, how is it that we can see this One on the cross and receive all that He has done for us? The Bible teaches that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That all have sinned against God 
And all are deserving of His eternal judgment. And any, anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ will be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It will not be by good works. It will not be by any merit that you can offer God. We come to the table spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus, because of His shed blood, invites us to the banquet of the Lord. He invites us to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He invites us to eternal life. If we'll just turn from sin and trust Him, all of our sins will be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. This is the good news of the Gospel. The One who hung on the cross satisfied every need. And we just trust Him. There's a recent video circulating about Alistair Begg and his conversation he's describing the conversation that the man on the cross the thief had with Jesus and as he describes this conversation he gets to heaven and everyone's wondering why he's there maybe you've seen the video um, why what did you do to get here like everybody's surprised that the thief on the cross made it to heaven like there's no thing he could have done that would have made sense and finally the question is asked then how did you get here And he simply said, the man on the cross, the middle cross, said I could come. The only way we have salvation is through Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room this morning? My prayer for you and my exhortation to you is that you would turn this morning from any life of sin and self-sufficiency and turn to the cross and trust in Christ today. If you're here in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that there is an open invitation right now today to you to trust in Christ. There's another seat at the table if you'll come. God forbid you reject Jesus and spend eternity separated from God, choosing the destruction of sin rather than the good news of eternal life. Would you, would you abandon all sin and self-sufficiency and trust in Christ today? If that's you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments. You're willing to say, I'm going to give everything to Jesus today. In just a few moments when we stand, I want to invite you from the place where you're standing to step out of the aisle and come down this aisle and say to me, Pastor, today I want to be saved. I want to know the man on the cross. And I'll lead you to Jesus. And the Bible says that He'll save you. If you'll call upon Him today. So in just a few moments, that's you. That's what we want to invite you to do. Believers, you're here in this room. The Bible teaches us that we, before we come to the table of the Lord, are to prepare our hearts. We should not partake of an unworthy manner. That means if there's sin in your life, today you repent. It means if you've got aught with another believer, you deal with that. Then you come and partake of the Lord's table. It's a very somber, serious, reverent thing to come to the table of the Lord and remember His death. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. and We're going to stand. You're here. You don't know Christ. I want to invite you to come. You're here. You need to get things right. Come to this altar. Kneel where you're seated. But get it right today. And then together, we'll come to the table of the Lord. Would you stand with me all across this room? Father, we give our lives fresh and new to you today. And we ask for you to have your will and your way in our lives. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You come. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.